Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and in the studio today it is Gregor Robertson, James Restall and Molly Hudson. Hello everyone. How's Hello. Everyone, how's everyone doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, good. James, you well? Yeah, very good. Very good after a brilliant night of Champions League football. Oh, wonderful. We'll get on to that in just a moment. Molly, you good? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, coming up, we are going to look ahead to this weekend's League Cup final at Wembley, talk premium economy and private jets, and find out what happened when the Times' very own Tony Cascarino met the rock and roll legend John Bon Jovi. All that to come after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So there is only one place to start, and that is Manchester City coming from behind at the Bernabeu in seven dramatic minutes, followed by a red card for Sergio Ramos. It means City will have a 2-1 lead over Real Madrid when the teams meet again in Manchester on the 17th of March for a place in the last eight of the Champions League. Um, Gregor, everyone's talking so positively about Manchester City. Optimism is very high that they'll get through to, to the next stage. Is it job done? Not quite, but um, just, I think... The way that Real Madrid played and the sort of the bluntness of their attack and whatnot, I think it's certainly almost done. I think Manchester City, you know, when the team sheets came in, our jaws slackened. They were thinking, what is Guardiola doing mm-hmm. here again? Kind of overthinking things. Well, he's been accused of that. I mean, I don't know how anyone can really accuse Pep Guardiola of much, to be honest. He's he's one of the foremost uh, coaches in, in the world, obviously. Um but we were kind of thinking, what is he? What is he doing here? And then it worked. It was just every every kind of little nuance of the system he tried to employ. Um, it worked, and Real Madrid really didn't know how to didn't know which way to turn. They didn't really know how to break Manchester City down. Manchester City are not used to playing quite as defensively and you know quite as pragmatically. But I think the way the fact that he was willing to do that shows kind of the amount of thought he's put into European competition this season because it's their last, it's the big, it's the kind of one and only thing, the biggest draw for them now. They played like they had a point to prove. Absolutely, yeah. And there was, it was interesting because Rodri's been speaking, uh, was speaking after the game and he was saying that in every game they've gone behind this season, they've not come back to win. Mm-hmm. And they felt, that there was a real feeling of we need to have a bit more backbone here. We need to go out and we, we need to we need to kind of learn how to, 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 to overcome adversity and given everything that's happened off the field, this looked like a, a, a real defiant show to UEFA as much as, as, much mm-hmm. as the rest of Europe. 
Yeah, no, it certainly didn't. I think I was reading beforehand how Pep Guardiola had said they were going to use a lot of the refereeing decisions that had gone against them in the past as sort of uh, mm. sort of fuel the fire in their bellies uh, going into that game uh, at the Bernabeu. But interesting what you mentioned there about the, the tactics uh, and the team selection that Guardiola employed. Um there was no Sterling in the, in the starting eleven, nor was there Sergio Aguero. Gabriel Jesus was deployed on the wing. Bernardo Silva started a false number nine. Kevin De Bruyne was just here, there and everywhere. It kind of fooled everybody, as, as you've alluded to already. So does that mean Guardiola is back to being the best tactician in Europe? Or I suppose in some ways he never lost it. But No, I think that's the thing. I think we're so easily to kind of jump on to if, he, if it doesn't work for him, he's a bald fraud. Um, and he was even asked afterwards... You know, he must be so pleased with how it, and he said, "Well, yeah, because it worked." Um, but the thing, the thing that amazes me is his kind of bravery as well, because like he, he doesn't care one jot what people think about how he's going to approach the game. Even though he's been accused of all this in the past about potentially overthinking things, um, and, and Manchester City having struggled in the kind of knockout stages, he just he just took took a team sheet and then threw it away out in left field, and it could easily have kind of failed. You know, he said he worked for worked for kind of ten days over uh, over the last ten days on this and sort of analysing mm-hmm. that Aguero or uh, Jesus through the middle would have had no change out of Ramos or Varane. They needed to be solid on the flanks, um, and the way that you know the, the the shift he got out of Jesus on the left was was remarkable. And De Bruyne is. We know how good De Bruyne is. We've seen in the Premier League he tends to use Jesus up front away from home. Um, Kind of winning those balls high up the pitch, putting defenders under pressure. This was just a slightly different, a slightly different version of that. He was playing. I, 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 watching the first fifteen minutes of that match, and he's playing almost exclusively as a left wing back. He's alongside Mendy at some point, <laughs> and 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 in those in those early exchanges, Mendy, if anyone was the player getting further forward, it was it was an absolute stroke of genius and one which I confess I didn't think would would work. And I and when when the goal went in, even though City had largely been on top um, when Real Madrid scored, uh, I sort of thought, this is a real shame if they lose this, because the narrative will be, oh, Pep's done it again, he's gone out there, he's tinkered, he's, he's made an unnecessary uh, an unnecessary sort of curveball lineup. Um, when actually, the game plan was near flawless. Mm. And losing Laporte as well, early on, he's they need him back as well I think you know mm-hmm. the, the competition's open it's wide open this year mm. if they get through this you, you look at I was looking in I think 10 out of the last 16 of, of, of the clubs have changed their manager in the last 12 months that shows how much kind of flux there is in Europe at the moment and there's not one team that you stand that's kind of a standout you think they're going to win Liverpool mm. and Man City I would say are, are kind of looking like the two two most dangerous teams and even Liverpool have, have, have lost to Napoli in the group stage um, obviously lost the the round of sixteen game against Atletico. They look more vulnerable in Europe than than at all in the Premier League. Yeah. So you can't. There's there's just no givens this year. That said, with with Laporte going off injured, which is obviously going to be a big blow. It was great they had Fernandinho on the bench, who actually came in and was brilliant, really. Yeah. At times. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, um, Otamendi again rushing out, getting in muddle with Rodri. I think I think the two of them. Rodri in the first half and Mendy, in fact, although you know, for all the the the, the, the way the system worked, Mendy was giving the ball away, flying mm-hmm. into tackles, got booked. So there are still weaknesses in that team, and they really do 
need to pray and get everything crossed that Laporte will be back fit soon. Well, I mean, I look back to last year and, I mean, if you look at all of, of Manchester City's uh, knockout ties under Guardiola, there was the crazy Monaco one, there was the Liverpool one where they were blown away and then last season against Spurs, they had a very disciplined, professional 1-0 win in the first leg and then kind of all hell broke loose in the in the <laughs> second leg. Um, the challenge here, I mean, they it's tempting to think... City own City actually could lose that second leg one nil and they'll be through. Um, but they can't. That that thinking can't happen, and they can't equally try and. I don't think they can afford to try and put the tie to bed by being too attacking. I think they've just got to. I think I think they've just got to do a do a number on Real Madrid again. Is the job made easier then, Gregor, with the fact that Sergio Ramos is suspended? I mean, absolutely. He's he's huge for them. Um, but equally, as I said, I think up front they're really. Benzema had the header Ederson saved They're, I think any any time that they got through it was because of an error of, because of Manchester City I'm not, I don't really see the kind of same craft and guile that you sort of associate with, with Real Madrid Modric he, I think he looked fairly pedestrian for, for Modric um, and they're not you know they're not the same they're not the Galacticos of, of yesteryear they've got they've signed a lot of young players who, they, who have got kind of improvements to, to be made it's so. quite concerning how they tired after sort of seventy-five minutes, that the the midfield is un- undoubted class in it, but they just didn't have the legs after after seventy-five minutes. And then you know, bring on Raheem Sterling. And there's a, there's a there's a brilliant thing I saw this morning, showing kind of the a, a graph of the chances between the two teams, and it was neck and neck until seventy-five minutes, and <laughs> then it just shoots up for Manchester City once Sterling's on. Um, but going back, looking at the second leg, why not start Gareth Bale? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're watching the game and Steve McManaman never shut up about that for the first half. <laughs> but look, yeah, Gareth Bale is someone. That's why you can't say it's over. Gareth mm-hmm. Bale could conjure something up. He won the Champions League final for them almost single-handedly not so long ago. So if, if it's out, a story Real Madrid. If out of favour, Fernando Llorente can kill off Man City last season, <laughs> Gareth Bale can do it this time. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but just something I wanted to pick up on, on what you said, Gregor, and bring in Molly into this. This conversation about the intimidating factor. How Have a side like Real Madrid, do you think, lost that? They used to have all these Galacticos, as you mentioned. And don't get me wrong, there's still some incredible players within that, um, in that Real Madrid side. But do you feel as though when you club in someone like Real Madrid, AC Milan, maybe Juventus, maybe even Inter Milan, although they're on the rise again... Across the board in Europe, it's a bit more level. I think you look back at, like, literally just last season's Champions League and you see what happened in the space of 90 minutes. <laughs> it was just bonkers. It it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter that you were Barcelona with Messi. It, it can happen to anyone. Mm. So I think any sort of... And actually, to be honest, Real Madrid haven't been that dominant in La Liga either, so it's not as though they're going into it like Liverpool have um, from their own domestic league. But I just think the Champions League, we've seen it so many times, it can throw up so many scenarios and it is so different. You know, as as James said, Liverpool have looked a lot different playing in the Champions League than they have in the Premier League. If they could play the same way they did in the Premier League, they probably wouldn't have lost to Napoli or, or Atletico Madrid. So I think the Champions League is almost like this unique kind of melting pot of, of all of the leagues coming together and it, it makes some really interesting games that are so entertaining for the viewer. I think we have to mention Bayern though. I mean, yeah. you know, I've, I've been talking about Bayern are the one team who've been kind of rejuvenated since since uh, changing the manager in November. Leipzig as well, look, are in a very strong position against Spurs. 
But you're, it's undoubtedly true that you look, look at Juventus, who lost to Leon, and they are certainly not thriving under Sari. Um, Leon are seventh in Liga. Um, Valencia are eighth. So it's, the teams aren't in a great position, a lot yeah. of them. So it's wide open this year. It is. Before we finish up talking about the, the Champions League as such or Manchester City, let's give a special mention to Kevin De Bruyne. He's playing in that strange-looking midfield, but he had a goal and an assist, and on average he was their furthest player going forward. Is he the best midfielder in Europe right now, James? I think he has to be. His numbers are, are, are sensational. I think uh, last night was assist number 18 for the season, which is certainly more in all competitions than any player in the Premier League. He just what 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 I what I find what what shows his class is that is that he can be deployed in a in a position like that where he was effectively kind of it was I guess positionally a number ten, um, but drifting around in a in a way that it made him impossible to mark. And you look at his touch map; he pops up on the left, he pops up on the right, but almost every touch sounds was, like a football song, right? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, one for the on. Euros. Maxi, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I've just written Belgium's Euro, Euro twenty twenty. <laughs> um, but no, he 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 was he was everywhere in the Real Madrid half. They couldn't pick him up. Um, every, you know, I think sixty percent of his passes forward and in dangerous positions. He's he's in peak form, and if Manchester City are going to go and win on go on and win the Champions League, he will have a huge part to play mm. in that. Gregor, anyone better than De Bruyne that you can think of? Not, not for a kind of all rounder, and it's his drive as well. He he just drives the team on. Uh, again, like I said, Mendy had a really tough first half, and he was on him. He was berating him. Mm. He was, you know, he raises the standards of him around him. He very rarely dips below his kind of almost his peak. Um, yeah, I th- it's, it's also astonishing that there's players like Sterling, Jesus. Uh, David Silva, even like players over the year, Kyle Walker, even have all been linked with Real Madrid, and he, that's never really been. De Bruyne seems to be settled and happy there. I think I, I'm surprised that he's not someone that the the very best clubs in the world are really pushing hard to get because he is he's certainly one of the best midfielders in the world. Hmm. Molly, would you agree? You also think about how many injuries he's had in in recent seasons as well that he's come back from all that and is just as good if not better than than he ever was which which has proved difficult um and I think yeah it's interesting because you you look at other midfielders you, you even look at somebody like Jordan Henderson that's become such a pivotal part of that Liverpool midfield but with De Bruyne it doesn't matter how Man City play he always seems to play well like it's it's pretty hard to think of a bad game that De Bruyne's ever really had Regardless of you know how City getting on, even in the Premier League, he still looks just like a class above. I think. Mm. Well, it was a great night for City in Madrid. They do come away with that win. It isn't job done yet, though. But if they do get past Real, how far do you think they can go in this Champions League, James? All depends on the draw. I know that's a bit of a sitting on the fence answer, but mm-hmm. it's but it does all <laughs> depend on the draw. Um, they're their big Achilles heel has been when they've faced English clubs. And if Liverpool get through and they draw Liverpool, then um, I'd probably I'd probably be on Liverpool's side on that one in terms of who's going to win it. Um, but I don't think, and, and I've said before on this podcast, that I don't think their defence necessarily will stand up to the scrutiny of the later knockout stages. Imagine mm. them against Dortmund. It's, very, <laughs> it's you know, you, you, the, the thing is, it, you... you it was it was it was the near complete performance last night, 
but for individual errors. And that is what will cost you at this at this level. That's been their Achilles heel in the Premier League as well. I think, as I said already, I think Laporte, if he's not fit, then it's a huge, huge blow for them. But as I said as well, I think Bayern, Bayern looked formidable against Chelsea. Um, and Liverpool have got, to, got a tough task to get past Atletico. So I agree with James. I think that's a kind of, they're almost a bogey team. I think of all the teams, they would be the team they would least like to play. Even... We've spoke, spoken about how you, there's not not much kind of not many clubs are in in a, a great state of health across Europe. Barcelona, are another one. Um, I think Liverpool are the team they want to avoid. All right, next up for City, it is a trip to Wembley on Sunday for the League Cup final against Aston Villa. But ahead of the game, the Villa boss Dean Smith has what could be a tricky conundrum. Should he play his strongest team against City and prioritise a League Cup win over their perilous league position? They sit fourth bottom of the table, but could be in the relegation zone by the time they play their next Premier League game at Leicester on Monday the 9th of March. So, first up, Molly, if you're Dean Smith, are you playing your full-strength team against City? Yeah, I think so. I think, for me, regardless of the fact that they probably won't win anyway because they're playing Manchester City. <laughs> if they do win and they play their full strength team, then that can only push them on in the league for me. Like that's that's such positive momentum. Mm. If they're gonna lose, they're gonna lose anyway, regardless of what team they put out. And, you know, whether they lose or not, how how much impact does that have on whether they go down, I don't know. But I think if they can win, which means they'd need to play their strongest team, then yeah, I think it can only help them kind of stay up it could be a win-win it's an interesting one isn't it because everyone is automatically assuming Manchester City are going to win this League Cup final there have been the odd upsets in time um, in in other Cup finals as as well when you think about Wigan are you writing off Villa's chances James? If Villa play a weakened team in that final then we might as well just pack up do away with the League (laughs) Cup and and really, it's just a sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah. reflection of the state of our yeah. top-flight football and the priorities of our football. Uh, if you're a Villa player, do you want to, when you're talking to your grandkids in 50 years' time, do you want to say, I won the League Cup, this is my League Cup medal? Or have a look at this book of league tables. Look, we finished 16th in <laughs> 2020. We finished, oh, we finished 15th in 2021. Uh, I think they've got to go for it. And um, I mean, funnily enough, my, the first the first football match I ever watched um, live was a playoff final between Scunthorpe and Leighton Orient at Wembley. And Dean Smith was in the Leighton Orient team, mm. um, and they lost one nil. Orient lost one nil that day. Um, Dean Smith's had many happier times at Wembley with um, with the playoffs last year. But um, imagine imagine what it'd be like for him as, as a manager to have. To, to, to be there in the raw box lifting the league cup yeah, I mean it's absolutely. just it, it, it's, it's amazing and and so I just I just really hope that you know we, we see the we see the, the the best villa can put out there um and yeah I think they can you know why why, why can't why not you know why can't why can't they win? you know you know in a one-off game any anything can happen obviously Manchester City are huge favorites but you know it's every chance they could win Six nil, like they did against, uh, like they did against Watford in the FA Cup final. I think they have they they have beaten uh, Villa six one this season. So, you know, odds are against Villa, but come on. Well, the thing is, I mean, let's not forget Dean Smith. Obviously, he'll know he knows about the precarious situation that they're in in the Premier League. He's the Villa manager. He's the Villa fan. He's a Villa fan as well. Let's not forget. So, 
he'll want surely he'll want to put out his strongest team. Of course, yeah. I mean, look, it's what is it, 20, 24 years since they won a trophy, League Cup, um, in '96. I've been they've been in a couple of finals since then, maybe in three. Mm. Um, but no one remembers them, mm. you know, not really. Uh, I think they were hammered by Arsenal in one of them. Mm. So. To win a trophy, it's one of these things that over time perspective changes. Undoubtedly, I think if you're to ask the players, you know, it's like you can win the final or you can stay up. They probably would stay up. Mm-hmm. They would say stay up, but that part of that is about securing huge, huge uh, wages in the Premier League. But when they're retired and they look back and they, as James says, having a medal and memories is far more important than yeah. a couple of years. In the Premier League, and having an I'll empty look, mezzle cabinet. And how often do you? How long do you stay at one club either? So you, you could, you know, uh, they need to. It, it is. There's no doubt. If you were to ask the club, most people at the club, they would say, "We want to stay up." But part of that is because, just for the long-term kind of financial health of the club, to keep someone like Jack Grealish, and others. Um, but when they look back, if they were to look back in years to come, I think that would change. The, mm. the thing is, as well, is this competition because the teams because teams play such weakened teams in the early rounds I think in for Premier League teams anyone in the Premier League can legitimately get to this final um, so I take your point if if, if if Villa you know Villa do prioritise staying in the Premier League there's every chance they could do this again it's not like this is a once in a lifetime chance I don't think I mean I, they, you know it, obviously you'd, you'd want to win it this time of course you would and I and you look at um, watching a Wigan game recently on, on Sky and the sort of pre-match footage shows the big statue of, of Dave Whelan with the FA Cup. Yeah. You know, that's same, what people will remember. Mm. Same with Birmingham as well. Birmingham won the League Cup and, and went there in the same season. And if you ask their fans now whether to swap a few more years in the Premier League or have the memories of that that, that day at Wembley, then it's, it's a no-brainer. And it's not just winning a cup. It's beating the great Manchester City and winning the cup. I mean, Indeed. That's a, Indeed. That's, that's, it's, it's club folklore territory. So with that in mind, let's say they do off a bit of a shock and they win the League Cup but ultimately their season ends in relegation would it still be a relatively successful season for them Molly? Well (laughs) um, I think a bit like the lads were saying I think it depends on the perspective you look at it from I think as Gregor mentioned there about Grealish you think about the idea of Villa staying up and Grealish staying chances are he's probably going to go anyway because he's the kind of player that's good enough to probably play Champions League football or at least European football. So would it not be kind of nice for them to, to win a trophy? Grealish, you know, let's be honest, if if they do beat Manchester City, Grealish is probably going to have a great game and be a big part of that. For him to win that trophy with the club and then leave, then for them to lose the League Cup, get 16th in the Premier League and then he goes anyway. Hmm. Okay, I see what you're saying. But what about you, James? Do you do you think that if they were to win the League Cup but were ultimately relegated, that we could still look at that positively? Well, um, Aston Villa fans would be able to look forward to getting their passports out for July <laughs> for some early Europa League qualifiers. Um, <laughs> Whilst also looking forward to a really hectic championship season. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be ideal. And I so think Grealish would get to play European football. Yeah, there well, you go. well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he gets yeah. his wish. Yeah, I, um, I, I think it is a case of perspective, um, but I still think it would be. A, I still think it would would be a successful season. Um, they're in a because because winning a trophy and beating Manchester City is 
something that so many teams have tried and failed to do. Greg, what do you think a team should ever prioritise a cup run over league safety? Uh, I think those days are long gone. I think, you know, we, we all know that the Premier League is the, the be-all and end-all. But, and, and if you get relegated, there's no there's no way you can call it a successful season. That's the truth of the matter, to be honest. Sorry, there you James. go, you went straight for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the same, but I played in a EFL trophy final at Wembley um, in the year I got relegated. Um, and the day out at Wembley with kind of 50,000, 60,000 fans there is something that you remember forever. And the relegation, you can win another promotion. So it is did a you, bit... Did you win the EFL trophy? Bar? We did, yeah. Ah. So that's, you know, the, as I said, I think your perspective changes when you finish playing. It's like you look back and you think, and the memories and the medal and something to cherish is kind of, is really important. But any time you're relegated, it feels like a massive failure and a massive step backwards kind of in your career and in the future. Were you in the relegation zone when the final was played? Yeah. And was it, and, and, and clearly wasn't a distraction for you on the day. Was it, what was, was it, did you, did you feel like it was kind of a welcome escape from absolutely, the league? Yeah. Or? Absolutely. You who, kind of, who was your manager at the time? Uh, John Sheridan, I was at Chesterfield at the time, mm-hmm. and he'd been there a few kind of trips to to Wembley with Sheffield Wednesday. Um, really good player, and it was all it was like a weekend away in London. We kind of, you know, you go and spend a few days in a hotel in London. It was like a little break, and then you had a brilliant day. Obviously, because we won it, it was it was fantastic. Did you play South and then, End? And then you're back to. Yeah, we did. Yeah, so then, yeah. Good yeah. memory. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, was, I was cheering you on that day because because um, they beat us in the semi. Did you play a full strength team? Of course, of course. There you go. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, still to come, we're going to find out what happened when the Times' Tony Cascarino met rock royalty in John Bon Jovi. But now, Molly, tell us about this exclusive story that you've had in the Times today about England women's team and their trip to America for the She Believes Cup. So they, obviously, we've also got a Women's League Cup final this weekend. Um, So that's on Saturday, Chelsea against Arsenal. That's up in Nottingham at the city grounds. Um, So there's a fair few players in there that will be heading off to the She Believes Cup with England. Mm, They're heading straight to Gatwick. Um, after that game, it's a 5.30 kickoff, um, And that's where England are taking off from on Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon. But they will be flying in premium economy. Um, so on a commercial flight? Yes, because the She Blues Cup is like a little friendly tournament that is held every year in America. Um, but this time around, it was pretty difficult for the US organisers to schedule a sort of fourth team. So it was always going to be the US, England and Japan. But last year it was Brazil and they're involved in Olympic qualification this year. Um, and obviously lots of teams are involved in Euro 2021 qualification as well. So, and obviously England have qualified for mm. both of those already. Um, so they eventually found Spain as the fourth team. So that just sort of delayed the announcement. So usually it's just before Christmas. This time it wasn't until the 13th of January. Um, and we understand that by that time there was no business class flights that could have housed the entire squad so they would have had to be split onto two different business class flights that was the other option than going premium economy Phil Neville and the players decided that they'd rather go premium economy and all be together which is completely understandable because it does seem a bit odd to be split up Mm. but of course the, the problem that a lot of people have with it and that I have with it is this wouldn't have been a choice that you had to make if it was men's football because they would have just chartered a flight. The the players and Phil wouldn't have been put in the, into that position. So was that, do we know if that was considered? I think because of the difference in income that the England national teams make and the interest that the FA don't really see that as an option, which is a bit strange because they did get a private flight back from the World Cup in the summer where they finished fourth. Yeah, and and uh, you mentioned obviously she believes cup is is a friendly tournament, but a lot of emphasis is put on that by England. Uh, they are the holders, so it it is surprising in some ways that the FA haven't thought we maybe should at least fly them out in a on a nice plane. Um, and this isn't necessarily about flying premium economy. Nothing wrong with flying premium economy, but it's that equality issue that I suppose that we're coming down to here. Uh, and James, with the FA trying, it seems to push the women's game, especially after the World Cup. They've tried to invest more money and and put more emphasis on the women's game. This seems to be going against what they've been driving for. Yeah, it does seem strange that a flight wasn't chartered. Mm. Um, I would have... have, There was a bit of a furore, I think, uh, during the World Cup when it emerged that I think there was a chartered flight for the under-21s and not a chartered flight for the the women's team going out to the World Cup. but uh, so so yeah, I, I it, it does it does seem strange that given what had happened before that this sort of wasn't you know they didn't put into place a a, 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 a chartered flight. Mm. And and Molly, this has happened before, and Phil Neville's not been happy about doing this before. 
No, so in um, Phil's first um, She Believes Cup tournament, which is in 2018, um, he has had a bit of a moan at the scheduling before, and it, it, it is a valid argument because obviously it's the US's home tournament, so they're always going to prioritise what's best for them. And I think last time, not only did England fly economy in 2018, but they also had a change. It was just really difficult to get to where they was trying mm. to get to. And he did kind of admit that it made a big difference to their preparation compared to obviously what the US had, who didn't didn't have to have any of that. But it's interesting because Phil has also said, and as I wrote in the article, is that he's quite relaxed about it because he thinks that the players should have to earn everything they get. But at the same time, I think that's a bit of a weird viewpoint because he would he would have himself would have always mm. I can only assume that Manchester United and England would have probably never had to be in this position position as a player. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of get what he's saying. You don't just want it to be a token gesture. But they are all professional women's players now. They're this all represented yeah. England. You know, thousands of people are watching. Millions are watching on TV. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's a token gesture now. It just feels, Gregor, like a bit of double standards here. Yeah, it's the easiest kind of own goal to avoid, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, and it seems it's, it's about, it sounds like it's about systems as well. You know, you, when it comes to booking <laughs> the flights or travel or accommodation or anything for the men's England team, they will look to do it in luxury and the greatest comfort. Um, and that doesn't seem to be the, the kind of reaction, the instant sort of direction that the FA turned to with the women's team still. I'm sure that will happen in time, but it shouldn't be taking this long for that to happen, especially because it's happened in the past. Mm. And flying, I don't know, what, seven, eight hours as it will be, uh, on a commercial plane, I can't quite get my head around as well because, you know, you want your players to rest, you want your players to not really be distracted by other things, but you may get people coming up to them and bothering them on the flight, which is not normal, is it, in a preparation for some sort of friendly tournament or, or tournament? No, and I think, you know, I would hazard a guess that some people listen to this will think, oh, you know, poor them, they're having to fly <laughs> in economy class. But it's not it's not about flying in the lap of luxury. It's As you say, it's about just having the right preparation. Mm. And as you say, if people are coming up and, and asking for autographs and things like that during a flight, then that's perhaps not the best best form of preparation. You'd, you'd hope that they have a... You'd hope that they find a way to sort of give them a section of the... They've got their nice little curtain, have probably. Curtain. That's <laughs> that, I mean, James, yeah. I don't know what you're off. hoping for, but it'll just be a curtain that people can <laughs> no. just pull back. Mm, mm. But, I mean, and the good thing is, I'm sure that the, all the women uh, team would be receptive to all of that because they're very down-to-earth individuals. Well, the, the sad thing is they're pretty used to it. Yes. Um, yes. It's not like they've been jetting around the world on private planes all the time, so... Mm. But that's kind of the sad thing that, you know, players like Seth Orton and Jill Scott, that when they began their careers, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe, were um, were kind of bringing their own food to training and mm. jetting up and down motorways and trying to get to training, balancing it with a job. Actually, now they've deserved to be full time professional footballers and they, they deserve the rewards that come with that as well. Gregor, did you always travel, uh, as you do now, of course, in the business and first-class luxury that you now course, are, are, are afforded? <laughs> no, I mean, like uh, one, uh, it does bring to mind a, a pre-season trip to America with Forrest many moons ago um, when something similar happened in that I think they only booked kind of 
eight, <laughs> eight business class seats and the manager and the coaching staff and like three of the most senior professionals did it mm-hmm. and they kept coming back with like kind of big sandwiches and, <laughs> and all the food oh. that was laid on. <laughs> we were sitting there all cramped and kind of... But we had a laugh about it. But this is different, you know, I think that was, that was I don't know, not in Forest, aren't England. Yeah. And this was, this was also kind of 15, 20 years ago now. Um, so I think... I think it was the easiest own goal to avoid, really. Um, I've travelled in chartered flights with with Scotland when I was with the under-21s. We used to often mirror the, the fixtures of the, the senior team, so we travelled with the senior team. And as I say, it's not necessarily what you would envisage as kind of feet back in the lap, lap of luxury. It just means you're contained and on your own and you're not being bothered. And you can, you're just with your teammates rather than with, with all the rest of the public as well, mm. so... Um, yeah, big on goal. Yeah, not good from the FA. Now, how is this for a meeting of minds? The Times is Tony Cascarino met rock royalty in John Bon Jovi. On the Times Online, you can read what happened when Cass met JBJ, which included Bon Jovi claiming that Bayern Munich squad was sipping whiskey in their London hotel bar the night before they put Chelsea to the sword at Stamford Bridge. And Bon Jovi sent a good luck message to the out-of-form lead striker Patrick Bamford, who is a massive fan of the rock legend. But I'd be intrigued to know, as a result of this bizarre interview with Cass and, and John Bon Jovi, what is the most bizarre interview you've ever done, James? Got one for us? Um, I'd like to take you back to my student days. Um, this is what I was going to do. Well, student, yeah. days, student days are not a good. Well, we so it, I, I was I was the I was one of two sports editors on my student newspaper, um, myself and a, and a guy called Sonak, and um, we used to get the Oxford Union used to get to get Premier League footballers come up and speak and do addresses and occasionally the student newspapers get the chance to interview them and uh, there was one it was it was it was during AVB's ill-fated spell I think it was getting towards the end of that and um, I think it was in between the two Napoli games where AVB got sacked and um, Roberto Di Matteo stroke John Terry managed the team to mm-hmm. victory after that and um, Gianfranco Zola was up and so everyone wanted to ask him about um about Chelsea and, and and what he thought of 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 of, of the situation there, and um, we were promised some interview time with him. He did the talk; it was all go, it was all fine. We weren't first of all we weren't allowed in. We we couldn't get into the room first of all because there were so many people that were there, and we were panicking, thinking we're not going to get. Then we we promised our editors this this big this big spread interview with um, with Zola. Got to the end, they ended the talk, and so they said, "Well, you've got." You've got from the moment he leaves this, the, the moment he leaves the room, to his car, which is parked five minutes away. You can do the interview then. So That's we did a this. Walk and talk. So we did this bizarre walk and talk interview with Gianfranco Zola down sort of Oxford High Street and sort of oh. through to a public car park, um, in which we managed to get two thousand words out of. <laughs> in the oh, end, <laughs> which was. Uh, um, and he was very surprised that my colleague Sonak at the time knew seemed to know all about his um, fishing trip with Tino Spria. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. research, yeah. thorough yeah. research. Okay, I like that bizarre interview walking along the uh, roads of Oxford. Um, Molly, got one for us? Yeah, go, as going, you say, student union day. Yeah, well, actually, it was a little even before that when I was a college student. Um, ah. Thrown back to the time when I didn't specialise in sport. And obviously had all the fun jobs, like talking about planes and fun stuff like that. <laughs> um, 
Living so, the dream, yeah. Molly. Um, so back in the day, um, for, for those listening to this podcast that don't work in the industry, there's something called a Vox Pop, which is like the most hated thing ever away my my college tutor used to say it was like going out to talk to the great unwashed <laughs> on the street oh, um yeah. oh, we like what they call, wow <laughs> so it didn't give us a great impression of it before we started um went out into peterborough high street chucking it down with rain freezing cold doing like the most dull story about how you, you couldn't cycle down this road um, it was like the main high street and you wasn't allowed to cycle down it. You had to get off your bike and walk uh-huh. and then get back on. And then while, and you, you got like fined for this and there was a big crackdown from like Peterborough police because, you know, got loads of time to do this sort uh-huh. of thing. Um, and as we were filming, it was like video and and audio as well. And as we were filming, somebody did that exact thing. <gasps> we got them on tape and then it, that turned into a story in itself um, for like the local paper. But it was just the the dullest <laughs> thing ever that then wow. turned into like writing more about dull things because this person had just done exactly what we were looking for uh, on camera. Is that what led you to go? I need to go into to sport. Yeah, yeah. Needed needed to do a sports degree yeah. at the end of that one. Yeah, no more vox pops. Isn't that bizarre? At least you didn't go to university when I went to university, where um, you you recorded vox pops on reels, and I'm talking about a really old machine that then you had to splice. Not that anyone uses that anymore, and you didn't even use it really at the time, but they just wanted us to learn how to do it. Really irrelevant it was. But anyway, I digress. Gregor? Uh, Doing the journeyman column, I've been to some pretty weird and wonderful places, but Glenn Tamplin, um, the owner, motivational mastermind slash (laughs) manager extraordinaire, he he takes the biscuit by a country mile, um, is... His office was called the Lion's Den, and there was kind of murals on every single wall. A lot of blood. Oh. Like lions attacking wildebeests, eagles swooping down on their prey. Oh. It was pretty graphic stuff. And then in the tunnel, there was, it was like a, it was like an aquarium. There was women, sharks in the wall and, and all sorts. This is all supposedly just to kind of get in people's minds. If, for anyone who doesn't know him, Glenn Tamplin uh, took over Billericke, put in a lot, a lot of money. Um, promised to get them to the Football League, signed Jermaine Pennant, Jamie O'Hara, uh, Paul Koncheski, among others. I think their wage bill was about 25000 a week at one point. This is in the mm. National League South or even the league below that initially. Um, and he's since upped and left and he's trying to do the same thing and now at Romford. So, um, yeah, that was... He, he was... He was a character. It's one of those things where the interview, when you transcribe it afterwards... It's so hard to know what to put into the article because you don't want to feel like you're taking the piss a bit too much. Um, and he kind of, yeah. If oh. you don't know Glenn Tamplin, look him up. Wow, he's a character. I wonder, so that was at Billericay where they had the, the tunnel, everything painted as an aquarium. Yes. Is that still the same? Does anyone know? I would imagine so because he's, he's kind of left them in the lurch a bit. Has he recreated they... it as his new yes, club? That's, that's what we want to know. That's the next journey when Colin goes <laughs> yeah, to, maybe, maybe. Go to the new... <laughs> oh. Well, it wouldn't be the lion's den there. Maybe he's got to come up with something else. Like Jurassic Park or something. Loads of dinosaurs. <laughs> well, I think they're the wizards now. Oh, he yeah, changed yeah, the name to something. Are, yeah. wizards, yes. The Romford Wizards. Yeah, he's oh, a character. Okay. No I'm not sure that a Harry Potter mural, though, will be as good as lions, <laughs> yeah. though. Uh, but anyway, um, do I need to do mine? 
Okay, sorry. Right, I'm just getting um, confirmation from our producer, Max, that I should tell you my bizarrest interview, which was uh, when I was working in TV, uh, I was in sport TV. I was asked to do a link up between, I was working for Sky Sports and Sky Movies. Um, and during it was during the Manchester United against Arsenal game. So I'm talking about quite a few years ago. They wanted to do this big thing where we did like an interview with a celebrity. And I had to go down to Leicester Square and be at the premiere of Tomorrowland. I think that was the name of the film. George Clooney was in it. So I had to stand on stage and interview him for five minutes or so. But it wasn't live. It wasn't as live. So you're pretending it's live, but you're allowed to call it live if you do it within a certain period of time. So anyway, we go to uh, record the first interview with these big sweeping camera coming along the red carpet up to us on the stage. I begin my interview with George Clooney. And I can't, can't, oh, we have to start that again. I'm really sorry, I've got to start it again. We had some technical issue. Okay, so we start that again. And then again, the sweeping camera comes along. I start my interview with George Clooney. Um, he's chatting away. And then I'm so, I have to stop him again. I'm so sorry, George. There was a graphic issue. We've got to start again. This probably happens three or four times. By the end of it, by the time we actually get through the interview, George is pretty much aware of all the questions. He answers it very robotically. Lovely man and all, but it was just like, this is too bizarre and very odd. And I never anticipated I'd be interviewing a Hollywood star when I worked in sports television. So anyway, that's my uh, bizarre... Could have spent a bit more time with George Clooney, at least. That's true. That's true. I didn't want to tell him that was me deliberately making mistakes. But anyway, no. Um, Lastly then, if you could interview one person... Dead or alive, who would it be, do you think, and why, James? Um, I would love to have interviewed or met Brian Clough. Mm. Um, particularly now when you see the likes of Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, and I sort of feel a lot of them are kind of fashioned in in Cluffy's image in some way. I feel without Cluffy's personality, um, we wouldn't have the kind of modern managers that, we have now and uh, I've seen I've I've always been fast you know the damned United mm. love that film and and also watched a lot of old like big match footage from from ITV in, in the 70s and he and, and he's sort of a, an, an early pundit as well um, and I just think it would have been fascinating to spend an hour in his company and yeah. and, 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 and to his views on the game. Yeah, very forthright he mm. was, wasn't he? Um, you sort of winced at that moment. Is that because that was the same person for you, Gregor? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no, I'm I met, really sorry. That's all right. I met him once, actually, actually a couple of times when I was at Forest, and, mm. you know, he so revered there. Kind of, he would walk down the, the hallway at the club and everyone would just stand to attention, kind of, part like the Red Sea, stand against, stand against the wall and just kind of let him walk, walk down the middle. Um, yeah, he so loved it at Nottingham Forest and, and he was, you know, he was kind of, he wasn't in great health at that point in time, so I would have loved to have, to have interviewed him too. I think my biggest idol as a as a child was, was Henrik Larsson, the Celtic striker, mm. so I think... I would probably pick him. And I st- that still might happen one day, you never know. Yeah, never let's make know. that happen. Yes. That would be amazing. Uh, Molly? It's kind of specific, but I think I'd like to go back in time to the 2012 Champions League final and interview oh. Drogba after scoring the winning penalty just because there was so much sort of like magic on that night and it was like the script was written. And that was one of the reasons that I fell in love with sports journalism. Journalism was the idea of like reporting on those moments that mm. you look back on now so like as great as it'd be to interview him now i'd prefer to interview him like back Fresh then if that makes sense pitch. yeah 
that raw emotion that you'd like to get. I mean, you added time travel into this. I never mentioned time travel, <laughs> but that's absolutely fine. And for the record, I, I go with. I see where you're going with Brian Clough. Similarly, I would like to interview Bobby Robson. So Bobby, what a gentleman. I yeah. think he would have been amazing to, to speak to and would have had some fascinating stories. But that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, James Restall and Molly Hudson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday so you enjoy your weekend. game is brought to you by the times for more information and more podcasts from the times head to thetimes.co.uk small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because rustoleum's new custom spray five in one gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.